ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. And welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. In today's feature report, IER reporter Enrico Sands continues the discussion of the water pollution situation and proposals to lessen it. That comes later in the program. But first, today's environmental stories. The Friends of Lake Monroe report that in response to a suit filed by Monroe County officials and other plaintiffs, a ruling by the United States District Court for the Southern District of Indiana found that the U.S. Forest Service violated federal law when deciding to log, burn, and apply herbicides to thousands of acres of the Hoosier National Forest that drain to Monroe Reservoir. The Houston South Vegetation Management and Restoration Project is located on more than 13,000 acres in Jackson and Lawrence counties in the Hoosier National Forest. The ruling issued by Judge Tanya Pratt on March 30th found that the USFS violated the National Environmental Policy Act by failing to evaluate the potential impact of the Houston South Project on Lake Monroe and remanded the project back to the USFS to analyze those impacts. The Indiana Department of Transportation has teamed up with Purdue University to develop a concrete pavement that allows drivers to wirelessly charge their electric vehicles while they're driving. The project currently in the research phase involves magnetized concrete developed by German startup Magmet GmbH. The project is being funded by the National Science Foundation to develop charging technologies that can accelerate the adoption of EVs by eliminating barriers to charging access and range. Nadia Kritza, professor of civil engineering and agricultural and biological engineering at Purdue, is the director at Purdue and says the goal of the technology is to dispel the worries drivers have about how far they can go on a charge by bringing the charge to them. The concept is that slabs of magnetized concrete are embedded with a coil where a high-frequency current is circulated to generate a magnetic field, Gritzka said. That field is picked up by a compatible coil in electric vehicles and converts it back to electricity and that can power the motor directly or charge the battery. Several short stretches of highway are being equipped to test the concepts further. NATS, the Mercury and Air Toxic Standards, was a federal rule whose aim was to improve all the air toxics, not only mercury, from coal-fired power plants. Such plants are the worst of the worst industrial polluters. Andrew Wheeler, a former EPA administrator, attempted to gut the rule, which was based on the legal finding that it's appropriate and necessary to regulate power plants' hazardous air emissions. Wheeler was a former coal lobbyist. 
Until mats came online, coal plants accounted for half the total human-made emissions of mercury in the U.S. and over half of all arsenic, hydrochloric acid, hydrogen fluoride, and selenium emissions. Pollutants from coal plants are linked to asthma, heart disease, cancer, neurodevelopmental delays in children, and thousands of premature deaths every year in the U.S. Controlling pollution from coal plants is a critical public health issue, especially for indigenous communities, low-income communities, and people of color, whose neighborhoods have been disproportionately targeted as locations for polluting facilities. Restoring mats ensures that all communities are protected from coal plant pollution. However, even more progress is needed since power plants are still allowed to emit unlimited quantities of some other harmful pollutants, such as benzene and dioxins. The law should require power plants to further reduce their pollution through stronger pollution controls and more consistent monitoring and maintenance of their equipment. Recent studies have detected microplastics in human fecal and blood samples, but now a study just published in Science of the Total Environment has found minuscule plastic particles no larger than sesame seeds deep in the lungs of living people, demonstrating that people are inhaling microplastics from the air. Researchers collected tissue samples from 13 patients undergoing surgery and found microplastics in 11 of them. The most common kinds of plastic found were polypropylene, used in packaging, and PET, which disposable plastic bottles are made of. Breathing in plastics isn't the only way those particles enter the human body. Microplastics are present in food and drinking water. Laura Sadowski, senior lecturer in respiratory medicine at the Hull New York Medical School in England, and the paper's lead author said, quote, Microplastics have previously been found in human cadaver autopsy samples. We did not expect to find the highest number of particles in the lower regions of the lungs or particles of the sizes we found, end quote. As reported by EcoWatch, for many people, one rich, pleasant smell signals the start of a new day more than any other. Coffee. Different techniques have been used to get the best cup of the caffeine-rich liquid, from a French press to the pour-over method. A unique new study has found that the secret to better coffee is really in control of the birds and the bees. In the study, researchers found that when birds and bees joined forces to protect and pollinate coffee plants, the result was coffee beans that were bigger, more abundant, and better quality, reported the University of Vermont. Some of the flying assistants come from thousands of miles away, and without them, the $26 billion coffee industry would see a 25% decrease in crop yields. For the study, the researchers from Latin America and the U.S. used the world's most popular type of coffee, Coffea arabica, a self-pollinating crop. They used small lace bags and large nets to test four scenarios on 30 coffee farms in Costa Rica. One group included bee pollination alone. A second tested pest control by birds alone. Another zero bee and bird activity and a natural environment in which the bees and birds were free to work together, going about their pollinating activities and munching on insects like the damaging coffee berry borer, which affects worldwide coffee production. Two ice seal species in Alaska have recently won habitat protection. 
bearded and ringed seals depend on Arctic sea ice for their survival, ice that's melting because of the climate crisis. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has acknowledged as much and has decided to protect critical habitat for these animals in the Bering, Chukchi, and Beaufort Seas. Bearded seals are known for their mustachioed faces and elaborate courtship songs. They give birth and nurse their pups on pack ice, while ringed seals, named for the light gray rings on their fur, give birth in snow caves on top of sea ice. The Center for Biological Diversity petitioned to protect both species in 2008, and Obama administration listed them for protection in 2012. The oil industry wanted to drill in the seal's habitat, challenge the seal's protection, but federal courts rejected those challenges. Emily Jeffers, a center attorney, said, quote, This announcement is fantastic news, but as the sea ice continues to disappear, we need bolder action. Bearded and ringed seals could go extinct if we don't dramatically reduce greenhouse gas emissions and phase out Arctic oil and gas drilling, end quote. When was the last time you saw a pheasant in the wild? Pheasants were once a common sight in Indiana. Now the remaining small population is found in the northernmost counties. A major factor is there are few large fields of high grass anymore. According to Pheasants Forever, Indiana's population of pheasants has had a tough go of it in recent years, with declining habitat and poor weather. Pheasant populations are greatly affected by blizzards and unusually cold weather, but clean farming and mowing practices take the biggest toll by causing loss of habitat. Pheasants need tall grasses and grains during nesting seasons, which is April to August, while fence rows, thickets, and wetlands with cattails are helpful during the winter. One of the biggest enemies to landowners and farmers is ragweed, but these plants are outstanding for pheasants. The seeds are high in protein and the plants provide excellent cover. Wheat, grain sorghum, and corn are also good crops for wintering pheasants. Commercial ships are dumping oil illegally in European waters as many as 3,000 times a year or more, according to Lighthouse Reports. That much dumping equates to approximately eight spills per day. Each spill is about the size of 750 football fields. Hundreds of ships have dumped oil in the ocean around Europe since 2020. To avoid detection, crew members use only certain pumps, falsify oil logbooks, or dump oil at night. Kristen Boussau, a Greenpeace marine biologist, commented, quote, even if an oil sample is taken after the fact and they find out which ship the oil came from, the likelihood of the polluters being fined a large amount is minimal. There is still a certain incentive for cost reasons to illegally dump oil at sea, end quote. Meanwhile, crew members who refuse to dump oil or speak out against the practice face repercussions from their fellow crew members, including being held in detention on board their ships and losing their jobs. Oil spills in the sea can be very damaging to marine life. The effects on small organisms like plankton make their way up the food chain, disturbing entire ecosystems. The vast Mississippi River watershed contains famously fertile soil, making the cropland of the American Midwest some of the most valuable and productive in the world. The watershed is also projected to flood more frequently and intensely as the climate warms, meaning more of that prized farmland will end up underwater more often. 
But according to a new analysis of data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, American taxpayers are spending tens of millions of dollars every year encouraging farmers to plant on land that floods repeatedly. That land is waterlogged and unproductive. But if left fallow and returned to native plants, it could help combat climate change by storing carbon that's otherwise released by farming, the authors of the analysis say. Quote, in these high-risk flooded areas near rivers and streams, why are we continuing to spend more money on crop insurance instead of retiring these frequently flooded fields? End quote, said Ann Schessinger, the lead author of the new analysis and a director with the Environmental Working Group, an advocacy organization that's long been critical of the crop insurance program. As reported by the New York Times, the first time since satellites began observing Antarctica nearly a half century ago, scientists said an ice shelf has collapsed on the eastern part of the continent. The collapse of the 450-square-mile Conjure Ice Shelf in a part of the continent called Wilkes Land occurred in mid-March. According to the National Ice Center in the United States, it was first spotted by scientists with the Australian Bureau of Meteorology and appeared in satellite images taken on March 17th. Currently, the average temperature of Earth throughout the year is about 58 degrees Fahrenheit. Some scenarios of business-as-usual emissions going forward project a 68-degree Fahrenheit temperature by 2100. In the past, when that temperature was reached, all the polar ice melted and ocean levels were 200 feet higher than today. Models suggest it could take up to 1,000 years for all the ice to melt. On March 25th, tens of thousands of young people around the world mobilized for a global climate strike, demanding that world leaders take action to halt the environmental damage that humans are causing and that's fueling the climate crisis. From local activists to youth-organized grassroots movement Fridays for Future, young people participated in demonstrations that occurred virtually in schools and on streets in at least 750 places around the world. About 20,000 people participated in the demonstration in Rome. German demonstrators criticized their leaders for purchasing fossil fuels from Russia and thereby funding Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Fridays for Future representatives said in a statement, quote, We strike because we have no choice. We are fighting for our future and for our children's future. We strike because there is still time to change, but time is of the essence. The sooner we act, the better our shared future will be, end quote. Key to the day's protest was demanding climate reparations, with which the rich countries that drive the climate crisis provide funding and other resources to poor countries, which climate disruption impacts disproportionately. For instance, Bangladesh, which is responsible for an estimated 0.21% of the world's carbon emissions, is experiencing floods, droughts, and cyclones that the climate crisis is feeding. People protested even in Antarctica, where scientists at a German research station posed for a photo, holding signs saying that the ice shield in that part of the world is melting far too quickly. And now for our feature on water pollution woes. IER reporter Enrique Sanz continues discussing the water pollution situation and proposals to lessen it.
The Wabash River is often a beautiful sight. A lot of rivers and streams in the state are too. They are the arteries that deliver fresh water throughout the state like veins do blood in our bodies. The fresh water keeps Hoosiers alive, literally, and through its importance in agriculture and as an economic driver for other industries. But for decades now, Indiana's waterways have been the dumping ground for pollutants from multiple sources, resulting in waterways too polluted to swim in or play in safely. A report by the Environmental Integrity Project found that the state of Indiana reported that 73% of rivers and streams and 23% of lakes and reservoirs have recreational use impairments. That means that pollution prevents those waterways from fully supporting recreational uses that involve contact with the water, like swimming, fishing, and boating. More than 24,000 miles of rivers and streams in Indiana have pollution like excess E. coli bacteria and phosphorus that make it potentially unsafe for Hoosiers to be in the water. The percentage for impairments is so high, the state of Indiana ranks first in the nation for water recreation impairments. Waterways like the official state river of Indiana, the Wabash River, are contaminated with E. coli and excess nutrients, as well as iron, PCBs, and fish tissue, and other biological integrity issues. Eric Schaefer, executive director of the Environmental Integrity Project said, much of the problem in Indiana and the rest of the US is due to the state's large animal feedlot sector and discharges from sewage and streams. We really, and this is difficult politically, but we have to confront the fact that agricultural runoff is really the leading cause of water pollution in the US today. I don't think that is true so much 50 years ago. Some of that is runoff of fertilizer from cropland, but an awful lot of it comes from the factory farms that we use to raise livestock. Those farms raise animals under contract to a handful of very large corporations. A failure to confront agriculture, that is probably the biggest program failure in the Clean Water Act. People talk about non-point sources when they talk about agriculture. I just want to remind everybody, in the law itself, it says these big animal feedlots where um, you've got lots and lots of animals confined in very small space, generating mountains of manure, are actually point sources that are supposed to have permits that limit their discharges. That just hasn't happened. And, and that is a big problem. According to the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, anyone who wants to establish or expand a concentrated animal feeding operation known as a CAFO, or a smaller, confined feeding operation called a CFO, must obtain one of two permits, depending on the size of the operation and whether it discharges into state waterways. CFOs and CAFOs that discharge manure or runoff directly into waterways must obtain a National Pollution Discharge Elimination System permit from the EPA through IDEM. But indirect discharges from CFOs and CAFOs known as non-point source pollution currently do not require a NIPTES permit. About 85% of livestock in Indiana is raised in CFOs, or what the state terms CAFO-sized CFOs, creating a pollution loophole that depends on the voluntary efforts of farmers to prevent pollution from making its way into the state's waterways. This is Indra Frank, Environmental Health Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council. The most significant for Indiana is the loophole for agricultural runoff 
and other non-point source pollution. The law has mechanisms to deal with point sources, like pipes that discharge pollutants, but runoff and non-point sources were left to mainly voluntary measures. In Indiana, we've had decades of these voluntary measures, and it has included encouraging and even paying farmers to adopt measures that reduce runoff. There's a limit to how much can be accomplished by these voluntary programs. Multiple state initiatives like the Clean Water Indiana program and dozens of federal and private funding programs have attempted to offset the cost of pollution prevention efforts, but have mostly failed to prevent waterway impairment. A current federal effort to revise the definition of waters of the United States, or WOTUS, a term that establishes which waterways fall under the protection of federal water laws, like the Clean Water Act and Safe Drinking Water Act. That revision could reduce the impact of CFOs and other non-point sources of waterway pollution. In 2020, the Trump administration, supported by agricultural trade organizations like the American Farm Bureau Federation, narrowed the scope of WOTUS to four categories, excluding types of streams that flow only during and after rainfall, known as ephemeral streams and intermittent tributaries. The rule ignored hundreds of scientific peer-reviewed studies proving the connectivity of streams and wetlands to waters downstream, and thus, the possibility that pollution from non-point source pollutions could make its way to federally protected waterways. The Biden administration announced its intent to review the WOTUS definition the day President Joe Biden took office and later pressed forward with revising it. A federal judge struck down the Trump rule in August 2021, and the Biden administration said it would propose a new rule sometime this year. The rule could reduce pollution from agriculture and other non-point sources of pollution, but it may not address another source of pollution affecting state waterways sewer overflows. Idem said combined sewer overflows, untreated stormwater and wastewater that discharges to nearby streams, rivers, and other water bodies were the largest sources of E. coli bacteria, one of the impairments cited to the EPA. E. coli can give swimmers or people in impaired waters diarrhea, fever, abdominal cramps, nausea, or can cause vomiting. In extreme cases, E. coli bacteria can cause kidney failure or death. Combined sewer overflows have increasingly become a problem for Indiana communities as climate change altered rainfall patterns and aging infrastructure have led to more communities experiencing problems with overflows. According to the Indiana Climate Change Impacts Assessment, climate change has made it so rainfall now falls in heavier bursts over short periods of time, increasing the chance of flooding in some parts of the state. In late 2021, hundreds of Indiana communities, many of which experienced overflow issues, applied for a portion of $63 million in grants from the first of four rounds of 2022 State Water Infrastructure Fund program funding. Only several dozen will receive that funding. IDEM said 107 communities around the state have completed or are implementing projects to prevent untreated wastewater from entering state waterways. Cities like Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, and South Bend have experienced overflows that have led to charges that they violated the Clean Water Act. All three cities are now undertaking major water infrastructure projects like Indianapolis's $2 billion Dig Indy Combined Sewer System and Fort Wayne's Tunnel Works Program. That's to meet requirements of agreements with the EPA to resolve those allegations. Despite its problems with contamination, the Environmental Integrity Project said that the state of Indiana was doing a better job than most states in assessing the problems it faced. 
The state ranked 11th in the country for miles of waterways assessed, a fact item said emphasizes its mission to improve waterways to a higher standard than most other states. Later this year, a report is expected from the Indiana Wetlands Task Force that could encourage the state to adopt legislation to address non-point source pollution issues. The task force was created to assess the state's isolated wetland protections as part of Senate-enrolled Act 389, a law that removed state protections for half of the state's remaining wetlands. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. The Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area is hosting a shorebird hike on Saturday, April 16th from 8 to 10 a.m. As you walk along the shore, you will learn about shorebird habitats and their needs. Be prepared for muddy conditions. Register at https forward slash slash www.eventbrite.com slash e slash shorebird hyphen hike hyphen goose hyphen pond fwa hyphen t-i-c-k-e-t-s 310-494. 085167. Have fun with a slingshot on Saturday, April 16th from 1 to 2 p.m. at Sherman Oaks Park and experience a fun way to plant native seeds with a slingshot in your backyard. Do-it-yourself seed bombs will be used. You will learn the importance of planting native seeds for wildlife and how native plants contribute to ecological succession. Register at bloomington.in.gov parks. Enjoy a full pink moon hike at Brown County State Park on Saturday, April 16th from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Join the naturalist to hike Trail 7, which circles around Lake Ogle. You will get to enjoy the night sky from a fishing platform. A red-tented flashlight or headlamp is recommended. The 37th Annual Spring Wildflower Foray is scheduled at Monroe Lake, Brown County State Park, and other locations starting on Friday, April 22nd at 9 a.m. and running through Sunday, April the 24th. Almost all of the programs require advanced registration by April 20th. For a full event schedule, go to the Indiana DNR website. During Earth Week on Sunday, April 24th from 2 to 4 p.m., There will be a debris and trash cleanup along the Jackson Creek Trail and in Sherwood Oak Park. Trash bags and gloves will be provided. Sign up at bloomington.in.gov forward slash parks.
And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. Juliana Daly assembled the script and Linda Green, Don Guerra, and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar and Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. And this is Eco Report.